Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please subscribe to our weekly Boston Bruins hockey talk on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify Podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate it if you give us show a five-star rating along with a written review. You can also subscribe to our official YouTube channel for a video version of our weekly program. If you'd like to support our show financially, please go to our blackandgoldhockey.com website and click on our affiliated fanatics banner before shopping online another way to financially support our weekly program is to become a patreon member to be eligible for weekly boston hockey prizes and monthly boston bruins hand signed jersey giveaways please go to patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast and donate just one dollar per episode many thanks for the continued support and enjoy the show Boston Bruins fans, we are back. This is the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is episode 280, brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag and use that code CLNS50 to say uh, to get a sweet-ass um, sign-up bonus. I am Mark Allred, the main host here, and I'm joined by Kevin O'Keefe. Kevin, how are we doing, buddy? Doing good, other than looking like a character in a video game that you haven't unlocked yet right now because of my camera, but... I'm feeling good. Awesome. And joining us today is Black and Gold Productions writer Nathan Anderson. Please give him a follow if you're watching on the YouTube or listening to the audio podcast. He is at Nathan Nathan DRSN. Is that correct, Nathan? 
Yes, that's correct. And Nathan's been with us for about a year and a half. So uh, congratulations on sticking around B&G Productions for that long. Truly appreciate that and your hard work. And um, and obviously, stoked to have you aboard this um, episode 280, kind of a post-mortem episode for the Boston Bruins. Um, did not really, uh, you know, I don't know. I thought it was a decent series, but there's, uh, there's, there's good and bad about it. We'll definitely talk about it. And uh, actually, before we get into all that Bruins hockey talk, we do need to talk about show sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline.ag continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information and have been trusted by millions for over 25 years. Find all the latest news and sports developments, including this year's NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, the fights, PGA Tour golf, horse racing, and even next season's National Football League futures. BetOnline.ag is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and, of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started, so head to BetOnline.ag website today or use your mobile device to sign in, and please remember to use our special promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, it's where the game starts. All right, that was me just rambling about BetOnline.ag. Please go there for your wagering needs. Uh, golf is going on, PGA Tour. The PGA Championship is actually this weekend and uh baseball and there's still stanley cup playoffs going on so plenty of places to go to get your wager on um but i would choose betonline.ag as your destination because they do a great job and they have for over 25 years and it's a trusted source so one of my favorite sports books all right let's get right to this uh, boston Bruins hockey talk Let's talk about the series, um, the first round series against the Carolina Hurricanes first, and then we'll uh, we'll transition into um, some topics that have come up, uh, particularly in the uh, exit meetings, maybe, and and what the what uh, head coach uh, Bruce Cassidy had to say, and general manager Don Sweeney, and uh, obviously Cam Neely, and what he had to mention about certain things about the coaching staff and so on. But um, let's go. Um, the Boston Bruins lose in seven games against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, it was a real, I, I believe it was just a real tough series, a tough opponent. We kind of knew uh, that this was going to happen, uh, having such a, a high caliber offense come at you and a pretty decent defense on the back end for Carolina um, really brought it in this series. Um, and, but the, the the home teams were, were the benefiting factor in this, obviously. And, and Carolina had home ice, so they got the seventh game and ended the series um, so what are your thoughts on on the overall, what you saw? Well, let's just start off with Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I think the better team definitely won this series for sure. Like you said, Carolina, they're just a powerhouse. I think they're the best team in the East. Um, and deservedly so. They won that series. They were the better team. Now, when it comes down to certain angles of that, of that um, series, you're right. The home team seemed to have the advantage the entire time. And unfortunately, Boston wasn't good enough in the regular season to have that 
home ice advantage for game seven, like Carolina was able to have, um, having last, having the last, um, change and, um, being able to get the better of the matchups in game seven was ultimately one of the things that allowed Carolina, um, to push past the Bruins in game seven. And unfortunately for the Bruins, they also were getting outmatched in the neutral zone, um, which was an area where they needed to be able to win, but, it was just a tough one. Um, but hats off to the Bruins for taking the best team in the East and one of the best teams in the league to seven games and showing them what they can be about. And I think that's something you can build off of for next year. What are your thoughts, Nathan? Yeah, it's it's a confusing one, to be quite honest. It's been a week now, and I think I'm still kind of scratching my head. I don't remember the last time I saw a series go – exactly as it was laid out you know every the home team winning every game that's that doesn't usually happen in hockey so it's it's a weird one when the Bruins would show up one way in Carolina and it almost looked like a completely different team at home um I know Kevin you mentioned the matchups and that's kind of the only thing that I can kind of grasp onto as a reason why the series ended up the way it did and I guess at the end of the day they were just able to match up that stall line to the Bergeron line when they were in Carolina and maybe the Bruins just couldn't quite handle it. So it's a frustrating one because you saw what the Bruins were capable of at home. And while those home wins were great, it was just frustrating to never kind of see that in Carolina. Yeah. Um, just to uh, update everybody, uh, Andrew Taverne is in the house. Thank you very much, Andrew, for uh, joining the live stream. Heather Hallman is in the house. Thank you, Heather. I truly appreciate it. Um, feel free to ask uh, Bruins-related questions in the chat. We'd love to answer them and uh, keep this hockey talk going. So truly appreciate any participation we can get. Andrew should be here. I want to argue with him. <laughs> well, I threw it out on the Slack channel. So, you know, I, I know Andrew's watching and so on, but I know he's got some uh, some things that um, recently happened uh, to his house, uh, water problems. So uh, oh, shout out to Andrew and hopefully um, I truly appreciate it. The kids are here, so he's got I'll, the kids. I'll argue with them too. <laughs> Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. <laughs> I don't think you want me here, there. <laughs> no, I do. Uh, we love you, Andrew. We love you. And we know you're one of a kind, but we still love you. And you're a huge part of the BNG uh, program. I know that. I know that. I'll argue with your kids, too. You got a smile on your face. I know you're laughing. <laughs> I know it, Andrew. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, for me, it was, uh, it was a real tough matchup, uh, you know. Obviously, you're going to be the the first wild card team going into the playoffs. You're going to draw a higher seed. Obviously, it's it's, it's there's no real math or science there. Um, and I got to give uh, the Carolina Hurricanes uh, head coach Rod Brindamore a, a bit of a uh, some kudos. I mean, he basically he outcoached uh, Bruce Cassidy in, in many occasions, particularly when the Bruins were on the road in North Carolina. Um, you know, and and I think Cassidy outcoached him in, in, in uh, the home games at TD Garden. So, you know, it's just one of those series that I thought was kind of, it, you know, even though it was, it, it, it didn't work our way. It was, a, it was a decent series going back and forth. Um, and there's a lot of people, a lot of people talking, a lot of uh, podcasts out there that say if they get past 
the Carolina Hurricanes, this team could have possibly made a Stanley Cup run. I'm not – as much as I'm a diehard Boston Bruins fan and I would absolutely love that, I don't know about that because the teams, to me, are just going to get better moving forward. Obviously, we see Tampa Bay. They beat Toronto. Ha, ha, ha. But anyway, you know, and Tampa Bay is still in it. So they're still a powerhouse in this league and in this postseason. I don't know if the Bruins would match up uh, well against them in the in a potential second round, especially the beating that these Boston Bruins bodies have taken in that first round series. And we've seen it. We're going to talk about some injuries later on. But, um, you know, I just thought it was a decent series and, and it was a shitty outcome for us Boston Bruins fans. So, um you know, it is what it is, but this is the time we're in the off season and, and this is the time where um, management has to get together and, and, and put the pieces together to, uh, to, you know, get back on the, on the horse and, and try to get further rounds into next season. And I think that they can do that. I, I tend to agree with you there. I don't think it was like even Brad Martian said it, that he thinks they were going to go all the way to a cup final if they were to have, beat the Canes there. But I mean, I, I, I have to agree with you. Even facing the Rangers next round is not an easy task. They have one of the best goaltenders in the, in the world right now. And Igor Shesterkin. Um, they were playing very well against Pittsburgh. I think they could have been a tough matchup. Could the Bruins have won? Absolutely. I think they probably would have been favorited. Um, but like you said, their bodies were really beat up. Um, and then after that, you'd be moving on to face one of Florida or Tampa. And do I think the Bruins could beat either of those teams? Absolutely. But the Bruins are really banged up and it's really tough to, um, you know, you need a lot of things to go your way in order to make it to a cup finals. It's not, you know, just about your team on paper. It's about how they're feeling. It's about um, their health, um, you know, which teams you match up against. It's um, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. So could they have made a conference final? Yeah, absolutely. But Stanley cup finals, um, maybe, maybe. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. And actually, I did a little bit of research. And you guys remember the much better format that we had before this one with the three divisions in each conference and the one through eight seeding with the top three teams being the division winners. Uh, we actually would have pulled the Rangers first round had we still had that format. Um, that's something interesting that I thought to uh, look into just because I was curious. So we would actually have had the Rangers first round. It would have been the sixth seed against the third seed. So that would have been a lot of fun. Nathan, what are your thoughts if the Bruins made the second round and what potential opponent could, 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 you know, brought? Yeah, I think, I think had they gone on to play the Rangers, I probably would have liked our chances in that series. And then like you're saying, it's probably either the you either get the Lightning or the Panthers in the conference final if you're able to make it that far. And I know when I had done my bracket prediction uh, before this started, I did pick the Bruins partially because I was just hoping to maybe get something going there. But you gotta. I think the way I saw it lining up, I thought the the Lightning and the Leafs were going to go deep. So one of those teams is coming out of the first round banged up. And then they're probably playing the Panthers. I thought that might be a deep series. So you're kind of getting a banged up team in the conference finals, maybe, and maybe you scratch something out there. But I think from a straight up talent um, on paper point of view, it's probably a tough road for the Bruins to have gotten to a final. Uh, I don't think it's 
any guarantee like some of the guys are saying um i don't think you know if you get past this series it's a walk to the final for sure uh but i think there was a chance there unfortunately you do have to get past that first round to get to the final and the bruins couldn't do that so it's all coulda shoulda woulda after that point but in the end it just it just didn't happen and i think as Kevin was touching on the the previous format, I don't think the Bruins got too screwed by it this year, but we have seen in the past it's the, the format. It just doesn't make a lot of sense anymore, and I get what the league was trying to do uh, by forcing rivalries. I think we kind of saw a little bit of that with like the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. That's probably a bit more of a heated rivalry than it would have been if this format didn't exist, but from a fan perspective, it's not even this year when there was a chance that we were going to play the Maple Leafs in the first round. It wasn't even necessarily that I was scared to play them or thought the Bruins couldn't handle them or whatever. I just wanted something different. I think it's, it's time to get rid of this playoff format and just let rivalries naturally occur. I mean, one of the, one of the best rivalries was that avalanche and Red Wings rivalry from a couple decades ago where they were just meeting late in the playoffs year after year because they were two of the best teams. It wasn't something that was forced. I think those are the best kinds of rivalries. So I think it's time for the the playoffs to go back to the way they were. And could the Bruins have gotten farther? Yeah, but we didn't see it happen. I think that's just kind of what we have to deal with now. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the, uh, the format at all. The, the, any wild card teams or anything like that, um, I'd rather go one eight two seven and so on. Uh, just see, uh, maybe that's the old guy in me, and you know, old man yelling at cloud on new things. That that very well could be, but I I just don't like the idea of uh, an Atlantic Division team in the first round jumping into the Metro immediately and and going from there in that path. Uh, I just rather see it more traditional, in my opinion. Uh, I want to answer some of these questions right here since we're on the topic. Heather comes in and asks, the first round is the toughest. While I tend to agree, if you can last all four rounds, I think the last round is – and just by the way your body is playing uh, throughout all the rounds and the, and, the, um, and, the, and the emotions that go through each player when you get to the Stanley Cup, I think the final round, if you get there, is the toughest. Winning a Stanley Cup is not easy to do. The first round is more or less just let's see if our body can our bodies on up and down the lineup can take a, a grueling seven game series, and then we adjust how we go from there if the second round is attainable. Um, but yeah, I, I I know that the first round is tough, but it's I don't think it's the toughest. For me, it's the second round. The Ooh. second round is always the round where you see a lot of teams hit a roadblock. Every year, you got so many teams out there who do it. The Avalanche. I mean, currently, you got the Bruins who usually make it to the second round and they can't punch past. Um, you know, other than the couple of years that they were able to, and in all those years, they were able to go to the Cup Finals. So that's an interesting little tidbit there. But <clears throat> I mean, it, if if you think about it in a whole, the whole thing is tough. It really is. I mean, it's the most grueling, hardest playoffs for any out of any of the major sports. It's really tough. Um, I mean, with football, you have single-game eliminations. Um, Not that it's easy, but it's a lot less playing. 
And I, I'd even go as far as arguing that um, hockey players have a tougher time keeping healthy, but they're able to play through it a lot better than football players or basketball players. It's, it's pretty intense. Um, another thing that Heather said there is, do you know how many teams had over 100 points this year? I know the exact number. It's 13. Oh, that is almost I, that is almost half of the league. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It we, is crazy. We, when have we seen that? And and here's another fun fact: it, it, everybody's talking about goal scoring and so on. Goal scoring was way up this this season, especially in the postseason. This first round, I've noticed a lot. I place a lot of bets. I do it on BetOnline.ag, and I I usually do the money line and the over under. And I I thought for sure that a lot of these games in this first round would be the under because playoff hockey is so intense. It's locked down. It's, it's defensive freaking breaking, you know, blah, 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 all this, all these cliches, but these guys are putting in seven to five, nine to six games. And it's just like blowing my mind. And it's I actually changing my, uh, my opinion on the, uh, on that type of betting. It's like, now I should just, play the over every time that Calgary Edmonton game nine six my god <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about and you know the battle of Alberta has been just absolutely crazy thus far you hardly see that during the regular season let alone a playoff game it's insane. right right yeah I think a lot of it is also matchups too it's hard to say that you know one round is is always the toughest because like you're saying Kevin I mean the avalanche walked through the first round there was one game that they even looked like there was a chance they were going to lose. And now they're coming up a pretty, against a pretty good Blues team who knows how to win. Um, I don't know if they've ever won it. I think that fact is uh, slipping my mind right now. <laughs> but um, it, it's it kind of just depends who you come up against. The Bruins could have easily come up against you know a team that they just match up better it's not even necessarily the seating sometimes it's just the way that the teams line up and the and you know certain players have certain goalies numbers it can even come down to that um so i think it's hard to say that one round is the toughest but i think as as bruins fans we've seen that a lot of the time for some reason the bruins have some kind of magic with the conference final where you know, we've had a lot of tough series, but the conference final some, for some reason isn't super tough. So maybe there's something to that, but I don't know. I think overall it's it's tough to say that one round's the toughest because it's so there's so much that's dependent on all the little details in a game like hockey. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned St. Louis because um, I, I really do think they're winning the cup this year. Wow. I really do think it. They have very balanced scoring. They, you, they can roll four lines. They're once again big and tough. Their defense is pretty good. Um, Bennington is playing out of his mind right now. I'm if that continues, there's no one stopping them. They're winning the cup, in my opinion. As much as I don't want to say that, but it is what it is. Um, wow, it's a terrible take. Somebody <laughs> on the no, not you, not you. I know. <laughs> I'm reading. Uh, David Pasternak had a tough year. We all know, you know, lost a child and, and you know, um, went through the whole season with that on his head. And and that's that I, I can't not imagine. I don't have children, but still, I cannot imagine what him and his wife or girlfriend and or family went through. But somebody on uh, 
on the good old Facebook mm. that they, uh, I hope they trade him. Can't carry the puck, can't play defense, defensive when he jumps to the point. He can only stand in one spot and shoot when he's set up on the side of the net, and he misses the net so much as he hits uh, as he hits it. Not worth the goals he does manage to get into <laughs> open nets. Wow. Okay. okay. I'm not even going to say the name, but it's a terrible take. <laughs> okay. So 40 goals this year. 40 terrible. goals. You don't want that? You don't want those 40 goals. He's a volume shooter. That dude rifles the puck. He put in 40 goals for you. Tell me where else you're going to find a guy making $6.8 million or whatever it is that he makes, giving you 40 goals, 50 goals a season. Tell me where you're going to find that. Yeah. You're not. And his next contract, he's probably going to make under nine because that's the type of guy he is. So tell me again, where are you going to find that? I mean, there was, there was less than, there was less than 20, 40 goal scorers in the whole league. Yeah. You, right? like, you don't, <laughs> you don't just find guys like that sitting on no. the, sitting on the street and pulling. It. I mean, the, that's a player you build around for your future. You know, you just don't get a, get a guy away. You know, you don't, just don't trade him away like that. Uh, that was bad. I can't believe I even read he, that. Shit. He hasn't. He hasn't always been bad carrying the puck too. You know, no. it, it's just he, he's going through a lot right now. Give the guy the summer to relax and you know get his focus back on hockey. Um, I mean, he's never going to forget what happened, but he'll be able to move past it. I mean, that's just how life works. Time is what heals. Um, it's it's a tough situation. It's a sad situation. Something you never want to really see anybody have to go through. And uh, the fact that he still played and still scored forty goals, forty goals, and was I believe second on the team in points. I mean, Jesus. I mean, how can you say, oh, let's trade a guy who just played through a, an emotional, really tough time in his life and still was able to pot forty? Yeah. Jesus. Tough one. Ugh. <clears throat> All right. Um, oh, shoot. I want to uh, let's get Heather's uh, question here, which I kind of disagree a little bit. The Bruins schedule sucked because we had to play so many games in a row before the playoffs. Um, yeah, I'm on the fence on that one, Heather, to be honest with you. Uh, that is a team that you needs to be uh, conditioned. And it doesn't matter to me what the schedule was coming down at the end. Um, to get appropriate rest. There was a lot of inj- uh, injuries and so on, particularly Hampus Lindholm. Um, I, I, I'm not sure about that one. I think that, um, you know, you just go down to the end of the schedule and just be, be, be prepared for what's coming up and don't worry about how many games you played. One area where I do tend to agree with that is where we saw the Bruins barely playing any hockey from October to the end of December. Like, where was the Bruins? I felt like they were on once every other three weeks. That's how I felt during that part of the season. And then they did cram, like, more than half of the season from January to um, the end of April. That was a lot of hockey the Bruins had to play. A lot of hockey. I believe they had played, I think it was 37 games from October to December. And then they crammed in the rest of the games um, from January to April. And it was just, um, it was a lot of hockey. It really was. I mean, they were playing almost every other night um, for a while. 
Um, now, do I see that as a reason why they may, you know, lose in a playoffs? No, but it definitely did make it easier for the Bruins to gain more injuries and so forth and so forth, which didn't really help us in the playoffs, especially when it came to Hampus Lindholm, um, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. It was just a good segue. We wanted to talk about injuries. So, yeah, um, you know, there was so many injuries. You know, you go and you look at it all. I mean, Grizzlick with his shoulder, which we all speculated on. The short shift was on it from the beginning. Kudos to them. Um, and Brad Marchand with his hip, that's a that's a scary one. Yeah. Because if he needs surgery, I mean – a, you don't know how long he's going to be out. B, you don't know how he's going to recover from that. That's a tough one. Um, and then you have, of course, uh, Hampus Lindholm, who was dealing with his injuries. Pasternak, who was dealing with his injuries. Um, I mean, this happens every year. It's nothing new. But guys like Brad Marchand, who are getting uh, – they're getting, he's getting older. He's not getting younger. He's still in the lower part of his 30s, which is good. But – those, you know, those injuries are going to start to be a little bit harder to heal as you get older. So that's one I'm definitely looking at is the Martian one. Yeah, same here. Um, and I know my friend Lisa Cole and and uh, I hope she's watching. What's up, Lisa? Gary, what's up? Um, she's She works in the medical field as well and, and posted something on my Facebook timeline about how nervous she is about the Martian hip surgery. And um, if it happens this year, it's she says that it, uh, to get 100 percent, you need 12 months to recover. But we've seen in the past and I did some poking around with some, a little bit of research on players that have had hip surgeries. And one player I'm just going to gravitate to is Wayne Simmons when he was playing with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, he played after a hip surgery and came back early, but. It was, it's highly mentioned that he wasn't playing at at a hundred percent because like Lisa mentioned on my Facebook, uh, you need 12 months to fully recover. So, but his game kind of went downhill a little bit. And I'm not saying this to be negative on Brad Marchand's continued career with the Boston Bruins or NHL uh, afterwards. Uh, hopefully he doesn't go anywhere else anyway, but um, you know, it is a concern that it is a surgery. That's your pivot point. You know, for a little guy that moves as quick as him and can and can stop on a dime, you know, you you have to question a surgery like this and 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 how it goes because it's different for everybody. Um, so hopefully, but Brad Mashian also mentioned, or or is it the media that mentioned um, that he could have the surgery this summer as soon as possible? and try to get into uh, early next season. I'm not sure if that's going to be attainable and so on, but he could, he also, I think he mentioned or the staff mentioned that the surgery could be pulled off till next year. Yeah. Which at that point you got to wonder, is that something he's going to be able to handle? Is that something that's going to also dip his production? I'd rather him take care of it now. And I'd rather him just take care of it now and put him on LTIR and bring him yeah. in for the playoffs. Kucher off his ass. That's what I'd rather do. <laughs> Kucher off his ass. <laughs> That's what I'd rather do. Nathan, thoughts on uh, Marshan's injury? Yeah, I think you kind of touched on the key piece here, which is that for a guy that plays his style of game, 
like the hips and the leg, like the agility is the biggest part of Marshawn's game. I think his biggest asset is being that slippery player that the defense just can't quite get a hold of. Right? You see him get stuck in one on two, one on three situations, and he's somehow able to twist and turn and wiggle his way out of it. And if there's any kind of lingering hip damage, if he tries to come back early or if maybe he's just not quite the same afterwards, it could really hurt a guy that plays his style because he's not the biggest guy. And we all know that, but we love him anyways, but he needs that mobility to be the player that he is. And I think, I mean, you're mentioning Wayne Simmons. He's never been the same even no. to this day he's a shadow of of what he once was um so it is it is definitely a scary thing but I, I agree with kevin that i'd rather him take care of it now i mean the worst case would be he tries to play through it and injures it further maybe even to the point of definitely not being able to come back from it at all so if maybe if maybe he takes a dip in production if he gets the surgery, but right now he's an elite player, one of the best players in the world probably. So if he takes a little bit of a dip, he's he's getting up there in age anyway. He's probably still a second, third line guy that can contribute. I think getting the surgery is probably in his best interest for his overall health going forward as well. I mean, that's the thing we gotta keep in mind here with with hockey players and athletes in general is a lot of us we we say things just kind of thinking about from our standpoint as a fan and, and what we want for the team but these guys are all people too we got to consider their post-playing life you know if if this is going to be something that affects him after he's done playing hockey then it's probably worth getting it checked out and getting it fixed up now so that he can enjoy time with his kids later in his life and he doesn't have to be using a cane or a walker or something because he tried to play through a hip injury. Yeah, absolutely. Say it, Nathan. Kucher off his ass. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. If the yeah. Bruins can get there, which is maybe a concern if you if you do not if you don't have Marshawn, if you don't have Bergeron, I mean that's the that's the concerning thing there is maybe you're without two out of those three guys, Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasta. But if they can get there and you can insert a guy like Marshawn who has had a year off to recover and is fully healthy, that's a big X factor to bring into a playoff series. And think about this, too. You take that, what is he making, 6.5, 6.6, 6.7 around there? Yep. You take that off the books until the playoffs. And this isn't cheating because, I mean, Mark already said it. It's a 12-month recovery process. So LTIR, I mean, that's what it's for. So you have him on there. You take that money. You can now go out and get yourself another center. And you can have – and then Martian comes back to the playoffs, and it's like, Jesus. I mean, you got yourself yeah. something good to work off of here. And then, you know, people can cry about it. But I, I, that's fine because I've never cried about anything that um, has been going on with Vegas, that's been going on with um, Tampa. I've never once bitched or complained about it because it's the rules. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, get over it. I mean, I love the 18 mil over, you know, 18 mil over the cap crap. I love that because more than half of that money they were over the cap by was literally dead LTIR contracts. One of them namely being Marion Gabrick. 
So, I mean, relax. They were realistically like seven mil over in that same year. I believe the Leafs were like six or seven mil over. So, yep. relax. People love to just whine and cry. Oh, this is why they did this. It's ridiculous. Oh, God. Sour it's grapes. That's all it is. Sour That's grapes. right. That's, That's what right. they pay the GM for to find those loopholes. Yeah. Yeah. That's off to the GM. Kudos. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, more injury news. Uh, and it's not so bad as the Brad Marchand uh, update about his hip, but. Uh, David Pasternak, uh, we all knew he had a core injury. We all saw it in the midseason when he went to celebrate and he couldn't because he couldn't, like, stretch his uh, chest muscles or stomach muscles or whatever. Um, fortunate thing about David Pasternak is I think they're going down the route of he's just going to need to rest up over the offseason and possibly don't would not need surgery. And um, a good indication of that is he's playing in the World Championships right now for his uh, his Czech Republic team alongside former NHL Boston Bruins center David Krejci. So I think that he's going to play in these games until the end of the tournament and just rest it up. Just take the summer, rest up, get that core, uh, that muscle back to where it needs to be, and we, we hopefully we can get a whole new David Pasternak next season a more offensive, productive David Pasternak. 40 goals is nothing to shy at in this league, but he's got the potential to score 50 to 60. All right, guys, percentage-wise, out of 100. All right, I got to ask it. You know, everyone's wondering. David Krejci return, out of 100. What's your percentage on that? Oh, Nathan, go ahead. I got to think. I Personally, I, I'm, I'm not super – Reliant on it, I, I would probably give it something like a twenty or a thirty. Honestly, I don't. I think he's kind of made his peace with his NHL career, as he should. He's had he had a great career. You know, um, a lot of guys don't get to go out on their terms. He kind of got to dictate his terms. He left NHL. He gets to go play in front of his family. Um, I, I think. I don't think he's coming back personally. I'm not going to completely rule it out, especially with Pass over there. Maybe he gets in his ear a little bit, but I don't know that it's necessarily the right fit, honestly, either. And I think for him, playing in front of his family is such a big attraction, especially because he had to take so much time away from that to play in the NHL. And, you know, he achieved his dream. He played in the NHL. He won a Stanley Cup. He was a one-team guy, and now he's playing back in front of his family. And I think you can't you can't overestimate the value of that. Yeah, I'm probably gonna anything could happen, but I'm probably gonna say no on a David Krejci return. I'm not hating the idea, but I just I really don't see this team going steps back with adding him. And I'm not saying that to be derogatory or hateful or anything like that about the player, but I just want, I see this Boston Bruins team getting, you know, we have Taylor Hall, we have, you know, uh, whoever's on the right side on that line. I can't remember right now. Um, Yeah. Pasternak. What I would like to see moving forward is, is somebody on the second line center that has the speed of Eric Haller, but more offensively gifted. Mm. Because I think all three, Hall and Pasternak, are, are, are fast players. 
Zone entries this year for David Pasternak were a nightmare. I get it. There's a lot of shit going on in his head, you know, but still, if you can get a player that can keep up with those guys, and we all know that David Krejci is a, is a guy that sets his own tone when he's coming through the neutral zone. It's a very slow, cerebral, um, offensive, you know, uh, entry. And I don't know if that's, if that would complement those two. Um, moving forward into next season. And I know they played together. I know the countrymen, and I know that Hall and Pasta, I mean, uh, and Krejci have had one season together. Um, but uh, I don't, I, I just don't see it. I, I, I kind of want to see the system change moving forward for two, two C. I think they need a goal scoring center. And the reason why I say that is because Taylor Hall is the play driver on that line. You don't want to start adding in more play drivers, people who want the puck on their stick. Possum needs to shoot. Whoever the center is, he needs to be able to keep up and shoot. Allow Taylor Hall to make those plays off the rush like he's so good at doing. There's so many people out there who believe that Taylor Hall is this ungodly sniper who, you know, is, you know, lighting the lamp all the time. No, he's never even had a 40 goal season. He's only been over 30 goals. I believe it was once in his career when he had the 39 goals. Other than that, he's been a 20 goal type of guy, um, you know, kind of like a David Krejci. Um, but much more fast and plays off the rush instead of slowing things down through the neutral zone and gaining the, and gaining the entry. Um, he's, he's the play driver on that line. 100%. You allow him to keep working, uh, doing that work with David Pasternak and you find a guy that you can slot into that center position. Now, now if we go to Martian not being able to play, this is where things get tricky. Because you can't have that Marchand Bergeron duo, which allows Pasanak to stay there. So, well, no, so not uh, sorry, not not Pasenak, But so here's what I would do if, unfortunately, Brad Marchand's on the shelf for a while. I put Taylor Hall with Patrice Bergeron, and um, you got to get someone for the right side there. But then for your second line, I'm going to Brusque. I'm going a new center. And I'm going David Pasternak. That's where I'm going there. And allow, you know, whichever sent, <clears throat> whichever winger you're able to put up there, um, who knows. But, hey, could be a Fabian LaSalle. Not right off the bat, but you never know. Maybe later on in the season, you know, he's doing really well. And they're like, hey, let's give this a shot. And he sticks. You never know. But um, be interesting to see. But I think um, I think there's a lot of options the Bruins can have here. Um, in order to make this top six work. But um, I think definitely an upgrade at that second line center position. And it's not because I don't think Halla can do it. He definitely can. But I think Halla moving down to your bottom six to play on a line with Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith gives you a really, really good third line. It gives that line something Trent Frederick could not do it, even when he was playing at his best. Yeah. So, What are your thoughts, uh, Nathan? I think it's I think the Bruins are in kind of a tough position because the thing we we don't know what Bergeron's what what he's going to do. Um I was working on an article recently about kind of his options and it's it is tough. There's at this point you kind of have to evaluate where he's at and given what just happened in the first round, you know, are the Bruins that close to competing? There's a, there's a chance he doesn't come back for sure, and it, it gets tricky then because you're also looking for a first line center 
and a second line center. I personally don't think Eric Howell is a second line center if you're going to win a cup. I think he did a nice job this year, but you know, again, looking at the other teams, how the Bruins line up, I don't think Eric Halla stacks up to the other second line centers. Uh, I, I I like what Kevin's saying about uh, that Hall and Pasternak line and getting a, a fast center. I think eventually that probably you want that to be your first line, maybe, especially if Marchant takes a step back. But it's tough because the Bruins don't, you don't have a ton of cap to work with unless you move away a couple guys like DeBrusque and maybe a defenseman. But the other tough thing is there's not really a lot of guys out there right now. It's kind of a tough time to be potentially losing a guy like Bergeron and and looking for a second line center and maybe a first line center because, you know, I was looking through cap friendly at the guys that are going to be free agents and, it's at first glance, there's a lot of guys that pop out, like, you know, Malkin, Drew, but they're also guys that are getting older, and I don't think we want this team to be constant one-year rental, one-year rental. I think as fans, we, we do want to see a kind of foundation put in place that we can run with for at least a few years. So it's a tough time to be going through this transition phase, and additionally, with maybe not the most money to spend so it'll be interesting to see how they do it i certainly don't envy them now but it's also kind of the bed that they made the management team so they have to figure out how to deal with it um and i'm sure i'm sure whatever they do there'll be plenty of people criticizing them but hopefully hopefully they'll find a way to satisfy some of us as well absolutely um, and before I just want to add something before we take our break and hear from Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Marabilia, we're at the halfway point of our program right now. Is um, you know, Eric Hall was never scheduled to be a two uh second line center, it was one of those things that Bruce Cassidy and his staff put together uh mid season and it clicked. It was really good to see Bruce Cassidy move that lineup around to find things that worked, and it did for a long stretch of the second half of the season, which is really good to see, especially Eric Haller, who's not really known to be that point productive uh, kind of player. Um, but his versatility was important in, in that type of role because it allowed him to go up there. And I think it was just for as a Band-Aid for this season. I do not want to see, and I'm not discrediting um, Haller at all, but I don't want to see him on the second line side of next season. Uh, I, I didn't see much of him in the playoffs when we really needed him. Um, but you know, that's, and, and you bring up gr- great points, Nathan, is if, uh, the Bergeron idea, we don't know what's going on with his decision yet and so on. And if you look at just straight up centers, it's very thin. When you go to cap friendly or, or Puckpedia and you do their free agent list and you just look at centers, it's really thin. Like you said, uh, Evgeny Malkin and, 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 you know, Marcus Johansson, who was a former Bruin, you know, there's, there's a couple things, but. If you look at if you click over and you start looking at centers that can play other areas of, of um, each line, whether it be left, right, and center, there's a lot of uh, decent options out there. Like Nazem Kadri, you know, JT Miller. If 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 the cap's not working very well out in, in Vancouver, and and you know, um, 
you know, could, could that be a player that the Bruins go hard after? Uh, Brock Fesser, you know, there's, there's, there's several options of uh, versatile players that can come in here and really fit that role. So, yeah. So there's a couple names that a lot of Bruins fans um, are very keen on. And it comes down to the trade market there, because like you guys say, there's really not a a ton out there when it comes to choices for free agency, but um, they're, they're intriguing options. Pierre-Luc Dubois, very intriguing option. He's um, a big body center. He's uh, 6'2", um, 205 pounds. He's 23 years old. And he's got top, a year left. Yeah, with top line potential. Like, he has top line potential. He's a, He'd be a great ad. He had 28 goals and 32 assists for 60 points uh, this season in Winnipeg. Um, and that was an 81 game. So he played pretty much every game. Um, he would be a very good ad for this team, a very good ad. And then the other one, of course, is from the same team. It's Mark Shifley. I mean, yeah. he's another guy who can, you know, he, he could be a top line center for you now, today, yep. immediately. He, if Bergeron were to leave, he could step in. I mean, in 67 games this year, he had 70 points. He had 29 goals and 41 assists. Um, that's a guy that you could bring in. Now, are these the type of guys that I was talking about, like a goal-scoring center? No. But to be honest, you don't really see a lot of super goal-scoring centers. You don't really see that a lot. But if you're bringing in a guy like Mark Shifley to play on your first line and you drop Bergeron down to your second line, which I think is very feasible, if he were to come back, I think if you were to go out and get a guy like Shifley and drop Bergeron down to that second line, that is that would be a great idea. You could have a Bergeron... Hall and DeBrusque line, if you really wanted to, on that second line, while having a uh, Martian, Shifley, Pasternak line on your <sighs> Jesus Christ, that's, that's pretty sick. Yeah, it, that'd I, be pretty crazy. So there's options out there to do that you can do, and even if Bergeron doesn't come back, you bring in Shifley, um, you know, or Pierre Luc Dubois, you're 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 still in a good spot, and um, you know, so. Old- Old friend Jason Larati comes in, and uh, I saw a question up there earlier. I'll try to get back to it, Jason. But he says, if you could LTIR Marshan, would you make a move for Shifley? One of the two. Yeah. Either Pierre-Luc Dubois or Shifley. I would rather go with Pierre-Luc Dubois just due to the fact that he's 23 years old with top-line potential. Shifley's 29. You're seeing what you're going to get out of him. Um Shit, give me give me them both. <laughs> well, and 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 just before um, we when we take our commercial break, I do want to mention this. Um, Pierre Luc Dubois has one year left on his contract. Shifley has three, mm-hmm. so that's going to be a heavy package going to Winnipeg. And I don't think we have the assets Mm-mm. to get something like that. So I think that we're going to be looking at players that have at least one year a term, or even UFAs uh, down the list. Uh, that come in here and try to uh, facilitate that second line center. I think the only way you're able to get either one of those guys, and I'm not even just saying just Shifley, but also Pierre-Luc Dubois, the only way you're going to be able to do that is giving up a blue chip prospect in there along with a first round pick. I don't see them giving up the, the 2023 first round pick after not being able to pick this year using their 2022 first round pick on the Hampus Lindholm package, which was a fantastic deal for Sweeney. God damn, I can't say that enough. Um, and then, you know, so so that's a tough one. But if there was a blue chip prospect that I were to give up in order to get us a center, it would be um, 
uh, it would be our defensive blue chip prospect there. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think that his name is slipping my mind for whatever reason. Mason I, Lorai. Thank you, Mason Lorai. I, 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 I feel like Zaboral is going to have that top four pedigree easily. I really think he's hitting that. Um, I really do. Uh, you also have guys like Jack Ashan who can easily hit that top four pedigree. So I think Mason Lorai, who I think is going to be a top pairing guy in this league at some point, I think moving on from him now that you have Hampus Lindholm for eight years, I think that would be the ideal move to bring in a center. Um, Fabian LaSalle, I'm a no on just seeing what he's doing right now in juniors and how quickly he's probably going to be making this jump, uh, starting with the AHL next year. Um, that kid is a dynamite powerhouse. We've always had issues with getting, um, enough depth on our right side for whatever reason. Um, so I think Fabian LaSalle should stay, but if for me, Mason Lorai would be the guy I would use to lure in a center. And good segue because I want to – oh, go ahead, Nathan, real quick. I was just going to say that the only problem in my head with trading for a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois is I know there was a lot of personal pull for him to Winnipeg. I remember when they made that deal with uh, him and Line, I think it was. A lot of people were mentioning the fact that I think his, his dad is a coach with uh, Manitoba. Um, so getting him – out of Winnipeg, maybe you're not getting the same Pierre-Luc Dubois that you're getting when he's close to home. But I do really like the idea of pulling Bergeron and maybe even Marchand down to a second line. I think, honestly, in those deep runs in 2011 and, and 2013, that line was almost playing more like a second line. I think that Lucic, Krejci, Horton line was a lot of people might have considered that the first line. That, that year. was so, your first line, yep. So. Yeah. You know, we've seen Marshawn and Bergeron be effective as a second line. They don't necessarily need to be, you know, the the top guys anymore. So I, I would be all for Pierre-Luc Dubois if we can get him at the same uh, the same level that he's playing for in, uh, in Winnipeg. But I have some concerns about if that's going to be the same guy. And, you know, we've seen he doesn't necessarily love it out here. He didn't love it in, in Columbus and maybe he walks when he does become a free agent because of that. Yeah, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I could honestly see Montreal uh, pitching um, a heavy, uh, a heavy load for um, Pierre Lutzebois from the Winnipeg Jets, uh, Montreal uh, native and so on. I think that, you know, I think they're going to yeah. push for him hard. I don't think so, to be honest, because um, they are most likely taking Shane Wright here with the first overall pick, they already have Suzuki. I don't see any fit for Dubois in Montreal. I think that's kind of past. Um, I mean, I, I, if, if they didn't get the first round, if they didn't get the first overall pick this year, I would think I'd be on board with that, but they're about to have Shane Wright, who is probably going to step right into the NHL. So I think they're going to be okay there. I think they're looking at a. They, I think they know they're going to be rebuilding over the next uh, couple of seasons here to get back to a uh, a playoff pedigree type of hockey. I, I think that if Pierre Luc Dubois were to move, I mean, he, not only that, he'd still be an RFA too. So it's not like you know he's hitting free agency after you know next year, and probably Arbright. So 
Right. Yeah. So it's it, it'd be a tricky. You'd have to Sweeney would really have to gauge, and the reason why I say Sweeney is because he's not going anywhere. For all you would think he might be, um, but. We'll talk Don Sweeney is going to have to gauge the interest of Pierre-Luc Dubois coming here. And one thing on the Marchand thing, I don't see them dropping Marchand down because he, and only for one reason, and the one and one reason only. Taylor Hall came here because he didn't want to be the guy. If he has to be the guy, he's that's not going to be good for him. And Marchand has no problem being the guy. So it's um I, I'm not sure you see Martian drop, but I could totally see Bergeron drop. And I'm absolutely fine. I wasn't before, but now I'm absolutely fine with breaking up the Martian Bergeron pair at some point. I don't think it's something that you necessarily need to have. Um, yeah, they've worked great for many, many years, but at this point in time, I think that um breaking them up could be beneficial for the team. Absolutely. All right, let's hit our mid-show commercial. Let's hear from Mr. Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. He's got some fantastic stuff to spice up that fan cave, everybody. Like I tell everybody, get rid of the Red Sox, crap. Get rid of the Patriots, crap. Get rid of the Celtics, crap. You need more Boston Bruins black and gold in your fan cave, and Bruce Sullivan is the guy to do it. Uh, listen to this commercial coming up and 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 follow and email him and go onto the uh, Facebook page because he, if you like and share some of the stuff that he's giving away, you could win some really cool signed items. So let's hear from Bruce and we'll talk on the other side. Hello Bruins fans. This is Bruce from Boston sports and music memorabilia with our black and gold memorabilia moment of the week. We are proud to have hosted Bruins legendary Hall of Fame goalie Jerry Cheevers. We are stocked with Cheevers jerseys with two inscriptions for just $79 or JSA pucks and photos for just $34. We also just hosted Miracle on Ice gold medalists and former Bruins Dave Christian and Dave Silk. Get your Miracle 80 dual signed Team USA Olympic jerseys for just $139 or grab a Christian or Silk USA hockey puck for just 39 or an inscribed autographed photo against the Soviets for just 44 On May 15th, we have Big Bad Bruin John Wensink. Grab a Wensink Big Bad Bruin autographed jersey for just $79, a puck for 34 or a photo for just 29 And on May 30th, we have Miracle on Ice hero Buzz Schneider. Get your Schneider jerseys, pucks, and photos starting at just $39. For more information on our dozens of Bruins hand-signed pieces and your chance to win free memorabilia each week, check us out at our Facebook page, Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia, or email us directly at bostonsportsandmusic at gmail.com. And be sure to tune in each week right here to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Let's go! All right, Beast fans, we are back talking Boston Bruins hockey. This is the post-mortem edition of the uh, episode 280. And uh, we have uh, Kevin O'Keefe, uh, as always, and, uh, and, and making a debut on this podcast is Nathan Anderson from the blackandgoldhockey.com website. He's a fantastic writer and um, recently graduated from UMass Amherst. So congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Um, I do want to touch on 
something that Jason, he's a, a faithful guy that always jumps in on these streams, and we truly appreciate him. But he says that do do Bruins need a power play quarterback. It's the one thing they haven't been able to replace since losing Tory Krug. Now, here's my thing is I don't think that the Bruins want to address a power play quarterback right now. I think that they'll they can sustain with what they have. Not sure if like a, a guy like Grizzlick is going to be that guy. I'm not even sure if Grizzlick is going to be around next season, to be honest with you. It sucks about his shoulder and everything like that, but who knows what, what's going on with his future. But I think that they're trying to breed or, or get Mason Lowry involved in, in that type of role, a bigger defenseman that has uh, really good offensive capabilities. And I think that he could possibly be that, and I know, Kevin, you're going to probably love this, that prototypical Dougie Hamilton type of player that can uh, dominate the blue line with shots on and uh, and his mobility uh, laterally along the blue line, surveying open areas and and, and open uh, Bruins players for that type of quarterback player. Uh, thoughts on that and Lowry possibly playing a role like that? Obviously not going to be next year. He's going back to Ohio State. And I and I understand that. Well, I'm, you guys know me. I'm always about at least one AHL year with Providence. So I see Mason Lowry about two years away. Do we have the time in two years to wait for a power play quarterback? Yeah, I think so. Um, you have guys like Jack Ashan also who has a good amount of offensive prowess and probably not as much as a uh, Mason Lori, but that's a guy who could step in and be better than a Krug. I mean, sorry, better than a Grizzly, but not as good as a Krug when it comes to his offensive skills. Um, I think both McAvoy and Lindholm easily can move the puck on the power play. They're both very good at transitioning the puck. They're both very good with, um, you know, making clean, crisp passes. I, I think they're absolutely fine there. I don't think – I mean, this idea that you need to have 100% like a Tory Krug on your power play, I don't think that's really true. Um, you just need a guy who can move the puck – and I think Hampus Lindholm and um, McAvoy both can do it just fine. I mean, at, at points of this of this season, the Bruins' power play was magical. Um, you know, so it's it's just them getting out of their heads and, and being able to make it all happen in a more cohesive, um, uh, you know, straightforward effort uh, compared to just doing it here and there. Um, so I don't think it's I don't think it's a personnel issue. I think it's more of a mental issue when it comes to that power play. And maybe maybe just a little bit of a coaching change. When I say coaching change, I don't mean rip the coaches out of there. I mean, you know, just kind of take a step back and think of some new approaches on how you can go about um, setting up this power play because you have fantastic players there. I mean, if you're going to tell me for a second that uh, Charlie McAvoy isn't an offensive um, you know, offensively gifted defenseman. I'm going to laugh in your face. That guy has a hell of a shot. He has a really, he has a good shot. He can pass the puck very well. Um, he definitely has offense to his game. And Hanvis Lindholm is also has um, good transition to his game. Not as much offense, but he, um, you know, he's good for a second power play there. He played plenty of power play in Anaheim. I, I think that, um, I think that they can definitely wait. But when it comes to Mason Lorai, yeah, I think that guy definitely has what it takes to be a absolute dynamite player on a power play. Nathan, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I the power play is actually something I've been thinking about a lot. I was noticing last night I was I was watching Edmonton's power play. I think if you want to go with the one defenseman power play, the four forwards and one D-man, I think Lindholm and McAvoy have you covered until the next guy comes. If it's if it's Lore, great. If it's another guy, great. It's definitely not Grizzlick. I'm I'm very low on Grizzlick. I'm very public about that. I don't think he's he's a power play quarterback. I think Lindholm McAvoy, however you I think either of them could jump on the first power play and either of them can play the second power play. I think they bring different elements, but I think you can make either of those work. I'm I'm not totally out on the idea of a two defenseman power play anymore. I think mm-hmm. We saw the Bruins kind of revolutionize this four forward power play back when Bergeron was was playing as a defenseman, you know, years and years ago. And since then, other teams have started to pick up on it. But watching the Oilers last night, their four forward first power play with McDavid, Drysital, Nugent Hopkins, like these are elite guys. They were struggling, and then the second power play would come out with two defensemen. Uh, I think Evan Bouchard and I, I can't remember who their left defenseman was, but because they had two guys on the point, they were able to zip it around and spread out the Flames defense and they were far more effective. I think what we've seen is the league has kind of gotten used to this umbrella system that the Bruins kind of have pioneered with Bergeron in the middle and that bumper player the league's kind of reacting and and that's what sports are all about. It's, it's a pull and a push kind of reaction to each other. We've seen it in other sports as well, but there's ebbs and flows with these systems. And I think as the league gets used to having to defend guys in the middle and spread out in this umbrella, we're seeing a more aggressive penalty kill kind of across the league. I don't mind having a two defenseman system where you stick Lindholm and McAvoy on the blue line, you let them spread it out. And I think that also might help with, I mean, we saw a couple seasons ago, the Bruins had huge issues with giving up shorthanded goals. And especially if we're looking to make a deep playoff run, maybe having two defensemen and shoring things up a little bit is something that could help with that. Good. Well said. Um, all right. What's going on in the private chat? Let me check it out. Okay. I got you. <laughs> Do you have to leave, leave, Kev? Hello? Hello? Yeah, I got to get going. I um, have some things that I need to take care of, unfortunately, but um, I'm happy that I was able to get the hour to talk hockey with you boys today. Um, you know, I, I can't wait till we can get back to our uh, weekly schedule during the week. Um, that's going to be awesome when we're able to do that, so – Awesome. Thank you very much, Kevin, for your time today. I truly appreciate it. I know we couldn't have Dom on because he's traveling, doing some CHL playoffs. Uh, He's covering as a media member up there. So um, uh, thank you very much, Kev. I'll be talking to you soon. We'll get back on to hopefully, uh, if my work schedule allows it, back on Thursday, uh, regular schedule program. So anyway. Any any day but Wednesday, I'm good. Yeah. Always. Absolutely. And Nathan, it was great catching up with you and talking hockey with you. Yeah, thanks. I think you're great. Me. I think you, um, you know, you're very well spoken. You're very knowledgeable, and I look forward to hopefully being able to do another podcast with you soon. You yeah, will. we'll definitely get him on again. Yeah, he's great. I like him. All right.
All right, boys. Signing off. Peace out. All right. Take care, Kevin. All right. It's just you and I, uh, Mr. Nathan. So let's uh, talk about some some of these questions that are coming in. Heather's talking about Jake DeBrusque. And um, are we going to trade Jake DeBrusque? Um, for me, I don't believe that is, um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about this whole Jake DeBrus thing because we did see, um, a player that, that really emerged after his, uh, his trade request. It really played well. And I think was one of the better players, uh, coming down to the end of the po- uh, regular season and even into the postseason. I thought he had, uh, signs of, of well play and good attitude and, you know, a good, a good soldier for, uh, for Bruce Cassidy. And it seems like everything kind of is getting back to the norm uh, with Jake DeBrusque, which is good. Uh, he's a young man and, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on these days. And, you know, everybody's uh, deals with, with um, mental problems uh, differently, I guess, you know? Um, so, yeah, I could see them trading him because his value is probably at, a very high right now. And uh, he said in his, um, in his exit interview on Nesson and, and, and on other uh, publications that cover the Boston Bruins thoroughly that he wants to go home and relax and think about it. And I, I think that that is talking about what he wants to do personally. Uh, ultimately the Boston Bruins hold all the cards with the contract right now. And, and even if he's not moved, he'll be expected to, uh, fulfill that two-year deal and and be a professional about it, and I think he will. I think we've seen the uh, the reemergence of Jake DeBrusque. But on the other side, I know it's a long-winded uh, uh, answer here, but on the other side, we do need to shed some cap if some if certain situations happen. If Bergeron doesn't come back, now we now we need a two C, a one C. We talked about it in the first half of this program. So a lot of cap space is going to have to be dealt to deal with stuff like that. So um, it, I'm on the fence on on trading Jake Dabrowski, but if it's a if it's a move to to increase better moves uh, over the off season, then go for it. What are your thoughts, Nathan? Yeah, like you said, he's an easy target for a little bit of cap release. I think ultimately it's going to kind of depend on what he wants i think if he wants to stay here he can be a productive member of the team we've seen that i think he's a guy that regardless of how his regular season goes we've seen him now multiple times show up in playoff series when maybe other guys weren't he was a huge part of uh the win against the maple leafs a few years ago scoring i think he scored the, the winning goal in game seven I think if he wants to leave, though, like we we're saying, he's an easy he's an easy way to move on from some cap, and you're probably better off dealing him now when he's just coming off of a good end to his season, and maybe teams see a little more value in him rather than making him play somewhere that he doesn't want to and taking a risk that he's maybe not as productive. I really like him as a player. I really like him as a guy. He's one of a few guys that I actually follow on social media from a professional athlete standpoint, because he's always super real. And I I love the passion that he plays with. I think his style of play fits the Bruins style of play or what, you know, as fans, we want the Bruins style of play to be. But again, if he doesn't want to be here, then 
it's probably best to send him somewhere that he does want to play for both parties. Agreed. Um, let's roll up to the top here. I want to get Heather's uh, um, question. Uh, and this is this is making big news as the season is over. This week was all about player exits and 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 um, and press conferences with Don Sweeney and and Cam Neely and uh, Bruce Cassidy and so on. But Heather asks, do you do you think that Don Sweeney should be fired? Um, <laughs> I don't think so because the fact is that he's gonna he's gonna get another deal. It's it's pretty much written in stone by Cam Neely. Um, and Don Sweeney himself saying that there's there's um, there's, some, there's stuff going on behind the scenes, um, you know, uh, pertaining to him and uh, his continuance as a as a general manager here. Um, I think he's going to get a two year deal, and I think that that's going to be the make or break. If you do not produce, you do not put a team together that can get higher into the postseason. I don't think he's going to be here that long. I think that I think that this is the thing. This is the time that Sweeney needs to really go out there and and be that general manager, be a little more aggressive, not so much assertive with what you have because we don't have a lot internally to make moves. Our our prospect pool is very thin, but it's getting better. The scouting staff is finding these NCAA um, college athletes like uh, Georgi Mikhailov, and it. Just signing them out of college and so on, out of Ohio State and finding other areas, you know, from Providence and so on. And I get that the Boston Bruins heavily take a lot of uh, NCAA uh, athletes and so on. But I think that they're doing okay. I think that the prospect pool is starting to get a little more replenished, especially with the addition of Fabian Lysel, Mason Lowry on the back end. I think there's a lot of positive things moving forward. But right now we need... NHL players and he needs to be aggressive in a, in a, in a, in a, in a maybe a thin free agency this summer, especially on the, on the uh, center position, but it, he could definitely make some moves. If he gets aggressive, I could see this team being much better than a lot of people expect next season and maybe create space for that window to open a little further for some of these uh, aging veterans. So uh, thoughts on Don Sweeney and, and his um, uh, report of him coming back for further services. Yeah, like you said, it's not so much a question of do we think he should or shouldn't be fired. It's All signs are pointing to he's coming back. So that's not really the question to entertain here. I have been doing a lot of thinking as well about Don Sweeney. And one thing that I've noticed, you're mentioning that he needs to be more aggressive. And, and I think a good word is he needs to be more proactive. We've seen, in my opinion, he's been almost just a year too late. On all the moves, and there have been great moves. I'm all for Taylor Hall, all for Hampus Lindholm, but I think he's just been a year behind where he needed to be. We saw, you know, they made that run with the what we would consider the core, and then the next season it was okay. We need more second line scoring. We have the top line. We have a top defenseman pairing with Char and McAvoy. Still, we need a second line scorer, and we didn't really see it. And then the next season, Chara moves on. And then all of a sudden, we go and get Taylor Hall, which was great. But now we have some blue line questions. And those weren't really addressed. And then David Krejci moves on. And all of a sudden, now we get Hampus Lindholm, which is great. We address the blue line. But Krejci leaves a hole at center. So it's just 
him being maybe a, a step too slow on certain moves where if he had gone out and got that winger a season earlier, maybe they make a deep run. If he had gone out and gotten a defenseman maybe a season earlier, maybe they make that run. Instead, it's been, let's wait and see what we have. And I think Neely even said, Neely or Sweeney, I can't remember which one, but they said they kind of wanted to see how things played out in terms of a second-line center this year. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but this is not really the business to wait and see if how things play out, especially when you have an aging group of guys. You have to go and make a push. And right now, in my head, the decision is either throw the farm at another cup run, hopefully, or maybe let some of the older guys move on and try to find a cup somewhere else and invest in some youth. And I think, like you're saying, they have some guys in the pipeline. Uh, Lysel is looking very promising. I would even entertain the idea of seeing where he comes in next season and maybe he plays a Seth Jarvis-like role like Seth Jarvis did in Carolina. Maybe he surprises and has a great season. I think Jarvis is only 20 years old, so not that much different there. It's just uh, he needs to make a decision, I think. He's been kind of sitting on the fence trying to play both sides. And the ultimate nightmare for me as a fan, while it would be terrible to watch losing hockey, right? Neely said no one wants to watch losing hockey, and that's true. But what you want even less, I think, is to be stuck in that kind of purgatory area where you're narrowly making the playoffs, and then getting beat in the first round. But you don't quite have a good enough draft pick to turn it around because you just snuck into the playoffs. I would rather him just make a decision. Are we going to go for a cup? If yes, let's go out. Let's get some guys. Let's get another center. Maybe let's get someone to fill in that top four role next to Carlo even, and let's really make a run for it while we still have Bergeron and Marshawn if if Bergeron comes back. If we're not going to go then that's okay. We had a good run. Let's let's retool. I'm not saying tear the whole team down, but you know, let's get in some younger guys that are going to form the next core. So I got a question before we move on to the next topic. Yeah. And, and it's it's been on other podcasts that I listen to because I'm a huge podcast junkie, especially at work when I'm working like 80, 90 hours. <laughs> I got to fill that void with some, some sane talk and so on. But there's a lot of podcasts, and, and I'm cherry picking this, of course, but you know, is is was Don Sweeney's acquisition of Ampus Lindholm was that the defining moment that saved his job? What do you think about that? I think I can certainly see where that could be coming from for sure. It's like I said, I in my opinion. It's a year too late. I love Hampus Lindholm. I think all all around, similar to how maybe Bergeron's not the most offensively gifted guy, but all around, he's one of the best. I think Lindholm is one of the best two-way guys in terms of being able to chip in on the offensive side and run an offense almost, and also being you know rock hard on the on the defensive side. But it was just not the right time. So it's a it's a it's a trade that I think. For people who are just kind of keeping an eye on the Bruins, it looks really good. But in the context of what the team 
needs overall, it maybe doesn't fill up all the holes. It's it's kind of like those you know those TV or movie scenes where you patch one hole and another one spurts out over here. Maybe it does save his job because it it, it shows to the management that he's willing to go out and get a big name, and maybe it maybe it just gives him a little more slack to say let's give him a little more time and see what else he can do. Now, if he doesn't go out and do anything else, then it's kind of a hindsight situation where, you know, maybe it was time to move on from him. But I think by going out and doing something, I think if he had done nothing at the trade deadline, I think we probably would be seeing the end of his time here. So I guess in that sense, it probably did buy him a little bit of extra time. But I do think that the clock is very much ticking now for him. Yeah, absolutely. Short leash, in my opinion, no. Yeah. And I'm not a Sweeney basher at all, you know, and I I hate doing this, but the narrative is out there, and you know that, Nathan. 2015 was not a good year for this Boston yeah. Bruins, especially yeah. when drafting. It was his first year as a general manager, and I understand he had 10 years of player development role, so he had an idea of what's going on and so on. But I think he got rushed into that draft by trying to get down lower to try to get BC um, alum – um, the defenseman, Noah Hannafin. Yes. You know, so that, I mean, it could have been a backfire and so on. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I still like the pick of Jakob Zboril. And I still like the pick of of, um, of Jake DeBrusque. I mean, Zach Sinishin was a, it was a huge reach. I was really hoping that a player like that would, would make it. But unfortunately, not all draft picks come to fruition when it comes to NHL time uh, you know one percent in the world make it to the NHL and that's really tight um but I like the idea of moving forward with Hampus Limholm and, and Charlie McAvoy that's really good one pairing you know you said that you create you, you patch holes up here well now the holes down here at the second at the second you know you have Brandon Carlo who struggled a lot this season um, don't know what's going on with him. Uh, hopefully he can snap out of it. I know he's got the ability to, to, to be a game changer, um, in certain situations, but I'm not talking offensively and so on. Maybe he gets the, the, the talk that he needs to be better and so on. Um, or maybe he's one to be traded. Who knows? Uh, anything could happen. Um, and obviously the third pairing is going to be, uh, uh, different right. talking about Jakob's Borrell. You know, he signed a deal, another two-year deal to to keep in the mix, and, and it was a very cap-friendly deal. I loved it. I love what Jakob Zboril brought to the table when he had the opportunity, when injuries were happening, came right in and and, and excelled. This was the best hockey we've seen from Jakob Zboril since 2015 when he got drafted. And I think that he's going to be a valued asset moving forward, especially on that third pairing. Um and, uh, you know, Oscar Steen is another player that could be involved as a forward. But the scary part about Steen and Zboril is they have to make the NHL or they're going to be exposed to the waiver process. Mm-hmm. So the Bruins are really, you know, putting it out there saying, you know, hey, you've got to show up and play. Or, you know, you might have uh, your NHL success somewhere else. Yeah, and I think with Zboril, it's a tough one. That, that 2015 draft is tough because there were – three guys immediately after that have gone on to at even at some, for some of them, I think they've been all-stars and I think 
yeah, that, that was that was a tough draft. Like we, we can all acknowledge that at this point, but it's not something to keep harping on like some of the fan base does. There's nothing we can do about it anymore. We're not going to go out and, and exchange those guys one for one. We don't have a do-over. I think that was probably just a case of Sweeney maybe trying to get a little too cute in his first draft, trying to kind of make a statement and like, look what I can do. That didn't quite work out. Now, Zaboral could still be a, a valuable guy on the team. The problem that a lot of people have is, you know, the guys drafted after him, namely uh, Thomas Chabot, <laughs> he was almost an instant impact for a very bad Senators team. Zaboral maybe has taken a little bit longer to get to where we hope, but he's still, in the grand scheme of things, he's still a pretty young guy. He still could contribute to this team for many, many years to come. So if you hit two out of three of those guys, if you can hang on to DeBrusque and he's a valuable guy, or even if you can move him for someone valuable, if you can hit on two out of three, that's not a terrible return. It's just maybe taken a little bit longer. And I think we've seen the draft strategy change a little bit. Maybe we're taking a little bit less of a chance on guys and, and trying to go for someone that we think is more more of a sure thing than trying to get a little bit too cute. So if that continues, I'm okay with it. Obviously, the that draft was tough. But like you said, maybe it's tough probably to, to take over and quickly, you know, have to run right into a draft you know maybe you're not super prepared but i think he's done better since then and we can only hope that that improves yeah i mean carl thank you very much carl for joining the stream which really appreciate it but he comes in with some just some, some major facts mm-hmm. arizona picked strom at third florida picked kraus at 11 dallas picked gulioff at 12 they all made the same mistake not pitting picking barzell Connor and Shabbat. Right. It's so. easy. It's easy looking back, right? Hindsight's 2020. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist, one of the one of the best goalies maybe of all time, he lasted a few rounds. I mean, so many people passed him up. The Bru I think the Bruins drafted seventh overall or something in that draft. And they picked a guy whose name I don't even remember, which tells you all you need to know. So there's always going to be misses in drafts. It's just unfortunate that the Bruins had three in a row, and then there were three guys immediately after that all hit it. But sometimes that's just how life works. You know, it's it's not predictable all the time. That is how the cookie crumbles. That's what the old people say, like myself. Um Let's get caught up on some of these questions. Anish, what's up, Anish? Thank you for joining the stream. Truly appreciate you being here and providing this question. The current power play system is underutilizing McAvoy's offensive abilities. Wow, that's a great point. Um, that's probably something that we're probably going to see change a lot uh, this upcoming season. Your thoughts on that? I So Krug moved on a few years ago, and the instant reaction was – Let's slot Grizzlick in because he kind of fit a similar profile. He's a smaller lefty, offensively minded. But I think a lot of people recognize right away, Matt Grizzlick is nowhere near Tory Cruz level. And like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a big critic of Grizzlick. I don't think he's as good as some people give him credit for. But that one to me was just mind-blowing how... You don't slot Charlie McAvoy right into that role. He seemed like 
the heir apparent to be that quarterback. If we were going to go with four forwards and a defenseman, Charlie McAvoy, even while Krug was here, was maybe in the conversation for being your best offensive defenseman. So if you're going to choose one guy to quarterback a power play, it should have been him from that point going forward. I, I agree. I think having McAvoy running that power play, again, if you're going to go with a one defenseman format, that's the answer for it. You got to have your best offensive guy running the show. And especially if you want Charlie McAvoy to evolve into someone like Kale McCarr, who I think has already surpassed him. Unbelievable. You're going to have to, you're going to have to give him that responsibility and let him run with it. And, and maybe he's going to make mistakes, right? He, he might, that might happen, but that's part of growing as a player is making those mistakes and then coming back from it. And if you're, especially if you're looking at Charlie McAvoy as potentially someone that's going to wear this letter on his Jersey someday, you're going to have to start giving him some more responsibility. And I don't really know why they've been kind of holding him back from that all these years. Yeah. I, I, I like McAvoy's mobility. I think he can move the puck well for, a, for that bigger style defenseman, and, you know, that can bring a crushing hit too. Yeah. I, I really would wish the giving goal would be more apt to his game because we know that Charlie can get zone entries if he wanted to f- and, and pass it off and then continue skating. I've seen it several mm-hmm. times yeah. and it, it hasn't always produced solid results, but to me, a shot on net is a solid result. You know, you got to get it on net to figure out what is actually going to happen. And when you don't get it on net, you're not giving yourself any more chances. So for me, I think this Boston Bruins team needs to shoot a lot more. Basically, and I know this is a really bad, bad comparison, but like Craig Smith, one of the reasons why he got here as a free agent out of uh, Nashville was his shooting percentage. When that guy gets the puck, he pretty much fires it on net just to try to see what happens. Uh, We need more of that. Yeah, you never know what can happen when the puck gets in the blue paint. Yeah. Like it's especially in the playoffs, teams locked down defensively. I think the Bruins needed more guys getting to the net against Carolina. I think there was too many shots from outside without getting someone in front or getting someone to collect a rebound, but I, and I do th- I think McAvoy is a really good zone entry guy, which is something that the power play desperately needs. I also don't know what's happened to the dump and chase that was like the that was the Bruins identity for a long time was get the puck in deep and go get it and it seemed like a lot in the series it was let's try to pass our way in against a really good Carolina penalty kill who would stop them and I mean you have an extra guy why not shoot it in and send two guys and in in a, a video I did reacting to the series I said that there was just no urgency with the Bruins getting the puck back, even on the power play, you would see one guy go in. And from an early age, whenever I played hockey, we were taught on the power play, if you don't have the puck, there better be two guys chasing it because otherwise there's no point in having that extra man. So I, I think McAvoy could help a lot of issues with the power play. I think you just, again, you just got to give him that responsibility and tell him it needs to be communicated. Hey, you're the guy. And even if he's maybe not got the most thunderous shot, stick him up at the top of an umbrella and let him distribute. 
and yep. let him quarterback it and give other guys the puck, set other guys up, put Pasternak on one side, Marshawn or even Hall on another side, and let him find an open man. Absolutely. Sticking with the, uh, I, I got to, I got to shout out to Kyle because he he sent this to us. He's like, love you guys, keep it up. Appreciate the uh, the kind words, Carl. and uh, always uh, when you stop by, or any of you fine folks that are still here. Um, yeah, you know, you guys' support is absolutely amazing. So truly appreciate it. We're going to be doing these all summer long. So please get involved with questions and so on. We're going to be doing a podcast, a black and gold hockey podcast. Please subscribe on all your listening platforms because we're going to be doing at least a half hour program every week. We can go up to two hours. It doesn't matter to me. I love talking hockey and I will find the folks that also like to talk hockey and join me much like uh, Nathan did right here. But our boy Jason, uh, our boy Jason Larati, um, we're staying on the defense. A lot of defensive questions, which is great. He says, you guys think that Bruins might ship out Grizzlick and Riley to make cap room this summer? I could see Zaboro being a top 4D. We, we pretty much hit on that, on the idea of Zaboro being a top 4D. And I'm totally – I mean – I like Grizzlick and everything. I like what he brought. I love the story, you know, his dad and everything like that. I, I totally get it. And but he, if he's an asset to be moved, I would do it. I would do the same thing for Riley too, even though Riley has been playing much better as of late, especially in the playoffs. Um, you know, not a game changing defenseman, but somebody that was was there and participated and helped out a great deal, in my opinion. Um, can't stand Riley's turnovers. They're so bad. They're so bad. But it is what it is. I mean, we, 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 we would dealt with what we had, you know, as Bruins fans. So um, my whole thing about this off season is how you recover is how you attack free agency is how you attack trades before uh, the draft. I think the, the Bruins could be active in that to particular field because uh, the draft's coming up um, in, in July, uh, 4th of July weekend for us Americans. And so on, that's the, uh, the seventh and eighth. I believe so. Um, it should be interesting, but what are your thoughts on shipping out Grizzly and Riley to make room? I wouldn't mind it, honestly. I, I think Mike Riley was a guy that I think the Bruins management, and obviously I'm speculating here, but I think they saw what he was doing in Ottawa. He had, I think, 20, 20 between 20 and 30 assists on a, a really, really bad team. No goals, but he was he was making plays happen on a really bad team, and I think. They were kind of taking a chance and seeing what he could do. At the time, I really liked the move. I thought it was a good pickup. I thought he brought a good offensive element uh, to the Bruins defense. But maybe he just hasn't really flourished here. And he's making, well, I think, $3 million a year. I think him and Grizzly are similar profile guys. Maybe they're a little more offensively minded. I think Grizzly probably gives you a little more of a dynamic presence. Riley is maybe more of a calming presence. But I, I think both of those guys are, are very replaceable. I don't see either of them as a top four guy necessarily on a championship team. I think, and I've been saying this for a while, Grizzly, I think the Bruins overvalue him personally. And maybe part of that is the story. It's a it's a cool story if it were, were to work out that his dad's on uh, you know, and the setup crew, but it's, it just hasn't really worked out that well. He was maybe supposed to be the guy that was going to replace Krug, never quite got there. And 
regardless of if his shoulders healthy or not he he hasn't shown that willingness to go to the dirty areas in playoff a lot of times you'll see a puck go into the corner and he has the forward beat by three or four steps but he'll take a look over his shoulder and decide that he doesn't want to get hit in the corner so he'll let the forward get in there and then try to uh you know wiggle his way in there with a stick or something and maybe that's a penalty or maybe the forward just gets by him but I just don't think he's a playoff player and I think if that's the goal which it should be is to make deep runs I think it's a good time to move on from Grizzlick to make some room in the cap I think if you can hold on to Forbert I think he had a pretty good playoff series oh, he came out um, that one yeah if you can keep if you can keep Forbert and Zaboral starts playing well if you can get Zaboro playing well next to Carlo then that top four is pretty That's set solid. for a few years so if you can get those two guys going and you get Forbert on the third line with uh maybe Jack Ashan and that's a good pairing something like that I think you got a, a good enough top six there to at least try and, and compete in the regular season and then maybe you evaluate where you are from there but I, I certainly think Grizzly and Riley are both guys that you can move on from and easily, easily replace with someone else on the market. I think the Bruins, uh, real quickly, I think the Bruins uh, value Matt Grizzly for his his defensive zone exits. I think that yeah. they need that transition, that quick transition out of the zone. Um, you know, no mistakes, no turnovers. I know it's tough, but um, you know, and Grizzly can can read the ice pretty well with some decent intelligence to snap a, a you know, a, a stretch pass out, you know, to relieve some of the uh, pressure in the defensive zone. So I think they really value that. I'm always saying that the Boston Bruins always have like a, a smaller defenseman with a bigger defenseman. You right. know, it's always that matchup that you have that more stay at home with that more mobile offensive defenseman, mm-hmm. which is which can benefit you, too. But it also can bite you in the ass as well. Um, real quick, uh, Nathan, how much more time do I have with you, bud? I I don't really have much going on, so okay. I'm here. I'm here to answer questions and yeah. All right. Well, let's through. get back to the uh, the defensive uh, talk because it, yeah. they're coming in hot and heavy. Anish has a very interesting question here. Uh, they're playing McAvoy on the power play like they did Chara. Stand up high and just move the uh, the puck from right to left. He's got more. Uh, movement, ability, and shooting skills than that. Totally agree. Totally agree. I want to see a more um, offensive, capable Charlie McAvoy moving forward next season um, because we are we already know his defensive prowess is really good. You know, he, he's, he plays good man-to-man coverage um, and, and has the ability to get the puck out of the zone quickly as well. So I just think that he's just just that – really good all around defenseman that you could just put a lot of trust into moving forward. And that's even somebody that I could put so much trust on that he could be a serious leader moving forward. You know, I could definitely see Charlie McAvoy being a captain of this Boston Bruins organization sometime in the near future. Yeah. I think I'm all for changing up the power play. I think like I was saying that the power play that the Bruins have had, it was great for a couple of years because it was so different from something that anyone had seen. Bergeron was really like the first bumper guy that really embraced that role. But now every team is doing that. And because of that, every penalty kill is getting used to it. 
I think it's time to switch it up. I would be all for more, a more fluid power play. McAvoy, someone that can move. If you have, let's say everyone comes back next year. If you have McAvoy, Bergeron, Hall, Pasternak, and Marsh as your power play, any of those guys could pretty much play anywhere in the offensive zone and, and be a threat. One of the most unique power plays I've ever seen was um, while I was at UMass, I was watching them play Northeastern. And Tyler Madden, who I think is with the Canucks organization now, would essentially just circle the zone. And they would kind of give and go with him, and he would dart down the middle. But it was a it was a four-man power play with him moving. And having someone constantly moving on the power play just gives a penalty kill fits because if you're the penalty kill, you want to move as little as possible. You want to get set and take up passing lanes with your stick, with your body, and you don't you want to stay as still as possible. If you can get a penalty kill moving, then things get chaotic and you see open lanes, open backdoor passes, stuff like that. So take advantage of McAvoy's mobility. Let him roam around the zone a little bit. Maybe interchange with Pasternak and McAvoy. The more movement you have, the more confusion it causes the penalty kill. So I'm yeah. I'm all for that. Emotion creates emotion. Yep. Um, Kyle coming in with another great question. What do the Bruins need to do to end the painful power play entry problem? Here's my, here's my answer to this. Don't give it to Pasternak. <laughs> and that's not making fun of David and the year that he's had, but you know, I, and, and even Dom Tiano, uh, co-host on this black and gold hockey podcast, uh, has mentioned in the past that, you know, on the power play, they're favoring the right side of the ice heavily. And that's uh, uh, David Pasternak, obviously a right shot, um, right winger. And when he gets the puck to, to try to create some uh, a zone entry, he often, I think his feet move too fast for his stick handling abilities. And that's when he turns it over a lot, which is, which is, is just, you know, it's tough to see from a skillful player like him. I think... Honestly, it comes down to just keeping it simple. And I, I feel like I keep harping on it, but I think the league really is getting to a place where there needs to be changes. There needs to be a new new systems coming in. The Canucks were kind of the first team back when they were you know pushing for the cup. They were the kind of the first team to do this drop back entry. I remember watching a game when they were talking about how the Canucks were the only team that was doing this. And now, again, Every team is doing it. And because of that, the penalty kill is adjusted. So the Bruins have been trying to do this where the, the you know, you'll have McAvoy or Lin, or whoever the, the defenseman is rush it up, try to push the defense back and then drop it to Pasternak or Marshawn. But now power plays know what to expect. And they're just sitting there and waiting for that second rush, as opposed to chasing the first guy. If I think it also needs more in-game changes if your power play is not working if you can't get in the zone it's hockey and one thing that has never changed is that there's nothing wrong with firing the puck in and going in and get it especially when you have multiple guys give it to McAvoy or even Pasternak let him get the red line and just fire it in and then overpower guys and once you get the puck back then you set up in the power play but you can't do anything until you get the puck in the zone. So if that if it takes just shooting the puck in and then trying to reclaim it, go for it. 
Like it, it, it's it's clearly not working trying to skate the puck through four guys and then setting it up. So here's another one for you. I'm gonna put your mind in a mental pretzel, my friend. So Bruce Cassidy and his coaching staff um, at the midseason, obviously after the the, uh, the the pandemic kind of break, that that two week with no hockey and and games were um, rescheduled and so on. It was a real tough time to be a Boston Bruins fan or hockey fan in that in that instance. But Bruce Cassidy made some changes. Obviously, Hall Hall to the second line, moving stuff around. Debraska on the top line again. We we all seen it, and it worked. It worked well. Do you believe that for the longest time, opponents of the Boston Bruins had a book on Bruce Cassidy saying they don't change their lines. This is what happens, blah, 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 right? Yeah. So this season he changed the lines, and now everybody seems confused on who they play. Why not implement those changes on the power play one, power play two? Kind of screw everybody up. Stop opponents from looking at the 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 play with blinders on. Teams are watching this in the locker room, watching this in their free scouts, and they're saying they do the same thing over and over again. What about changing the man advantage? Stay with the penalty kill. I don't want to touch that part. We're pretty decent on the penalty kill. But give every opponent this Boston Bruins team plays next season something to be concerned about when they say this isn't what we've seen on tape. Yeah. I think as a fan base, we've all gotten used to rooting for this team and this core and we know how they play and we love how they play. But I think you touch on a good point there. If we are familiar with how they play the teams in the league that have hours of footage and it's their job to review it, probably also have a pretty good idea of how this team plays considering it's been the same for years at this point we know that they're gonna you know they're gonna either look for Pasternak on the one-timer or we're gonna give the puck to Marchant down to the the guy in front of the net up to Bergeron for the bumper it's it's almost like they're set plays on the power play and the defense is able to key in on okay the puck's gone to Marshawn. That means they're going to do this and this, and here's how we stop that. Or, okay, the puck's up top. They're looking for Pasternak. We're about going to do this and this, and then we'll stop that. It's, I think it is time to change it up. It's time. Yep. It's to throw something different at people and see how they react. There, uh, there was a great. Um, not uh, you probably watched it because you said you listen to a lot of podcasts, but the interview that Spit and Chicklets did with Wayne Gretzky, he was saying that. Fantastic. Podcast goal. hockey hockey is missing that creativity. Yep. It's too structured now. It's too much about structure and it, it becoming like you know, basketball has set plays or uh you know, football, you, you call a play and you run the play. Hockey is about chaos. It's always been a chaotic sport, and it's about thinking quickly and reacting to what people do. And you know. Throw guys out on the ice and let them have fun. You have these guys with so much talent. Pasternak, one of the most talented guys in the league. Marshawn's so talented. Charlie McAvoy is so talented. Throw the guys out on the power play and just let them have fun. They have an extra guy to play with. They have more ice to play with. Just let them get creative and throw away the playbook and see how the teams react. Yeah. And, and for me, uh, you know, all the opponents out there, the 31 other teams, they all have staffs that, that 
analyze the video. And, 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 and this is a great example, you know, I mean, the Boston Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes was a decent season, uh, a decent series in in the postseason. Unfortunately, they lost. We all get it. It sucks. This is the post warm episode right here. We're talking about it, but like that creativity thing is is such a huge word right now. It's like they the uh, the color. I always want to say Colorado. The Carolina Hurricanes found a way to expose us, and mm-hmm. and and they did it repeatedly, especially on their home ice. That's something we want, we don't want to have um, any opponent next season do. It's just something you got to work on. It's yeah. something in my throat. Sorry, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to some questions. Jason's been patiently waiting. He's a great follower of ours and always answer uh, ask questions. He says he's been big, busy with work lately. How did the new recruits do in Providence? Heard Berglund played well, as well as some uh, college guys they signed. Um, as a media member that goes down to Providence uh, quite often, I really liked what Berglund brought to the uh, to his game this season. It was his first year of uh, North American pro hockey. Um, it was a little skittish, in my opinion, to start out the year. He was with Maine. He did pretty well in the East, uh, ECHL with the Mariners. And then came into the uh, the Providence Bruins lineup under a Ryan Mouchinel, um defense, and uh, I thought he did. He was, you know, at, that transition from European hockey into North American hockey is difficult, and I think that that change got Victor into um, some penalty trouble earlier on. But as the season progressed and so on, and the team was getting better and climbing the Atlantic Division, I think that he was really settling into how North American hockey is to be approached. Um, uh, some of the college kids that came out, I really like Callahan. I thought Beecher played really well um, after his season was over at, um, at Michigan and came into the uh, American Hockey League with the Providence Bruins on an ATO, has yet signed a, a three-year entry-level contract, which is great. Uh, but, you know, towards the end of the season and even in the playoffs, he was kind of a uh, a no show, but I expect Beecher to really work hard in Boston or around Boston in Providence this season and come out and have a great uh, AHL year uh, next season. Uh, yeah, I mean, Providence was tough this season because they played really well, but injuries was so bad. They were so bad. And then the call-ups, you know, it, it's it's not easy to be that pivotal minor pro organization yeah. because once something happens at the NHL level – they're cherry picking guys from the AHL, which is which is the way the flow goes. But also the the ECHL main Mariners are also rising people up to to, to uh, facilitate spots in Providence. So it's a constant move of of pieces and 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 how to find the the appropriate lineup, uh, whether it be defensive or, or or the forwards for Ryan Mujanel and Trent uh, Whitfield and and uh, Matty Walsh. You know, it's it's hard, and towards the end of the season, it was just a little too difficult. And and the uh, the AHL um, Bridgeport Islanders uh, shut out and swept the uh, the Providence Bruins in a three game first round series. And I hate that too, by the way. I don't not like first round being best of three, second round being best of five, and then the rest are all seven game series. I hate it, hate it, hate it. Yeah, best of three is always it's it's tough because I think. If I'm not mistaken, both both losses were overtime losses. Like it, a flip of the coin, and Providence sweeps that series. You know, yeah. it, it's it's two games. 
it's yep. it's it's one of those things there's the saying it's really hard to beat a team three times so if you're in a best of three well you don't have to beat them three times you only got to take them down twice and it's it's a short series to have to react and, and adjust to teams especially if you're a minor league team that maybe the same guys haven't been playing together all season long you might not know how your line mates even play um and i think it's something that's interesting to keep in mind as people who follow primarily a you know an nhl team and then there's also the a lot of times we're calling for certain guys to get called up and we lose track of maybe it's more beneficial for a guy to stay down in province not because he necessarily needs more time to adjust the edge or something like that, but it might be better for him to play with the same guys. And if you have, if you can form a line down there of guys who, okay, they're maybe not quite ready to play full time in the NHL, but if they can all play together all season, it might benefit them to be playing with the same guys all year, as opposed to maybe bouncing up and down between the NHL. And uh, you mentioned Johnny Beecher. I wouldn't panic too much, right? He he probably did drop off a little bit at the end, but we've seen people across the league. I mean, one that I'm very familiar with is Oliver Wallstrom. His his time at BC was nothing to write home about. And that was after he was picked 11th overall by the Islanders. This is a top 15 guy who was playing probably an extra season in college and certainly was not tearing it up. So, but he's been relatively good for the Islanders. He's been able to put the puck in the net. I think he had a bit of a down season this year, but certainly the year before he he was putting the puck in the net. So, sometimes it's it's ebbs and flows. Sometimes maybe a guy just needs the right line mates, so Beecher certainly could still make an impact if he's given the right opportunity. Kyle brings up a really good question um and he's been fantastic at these and really like him so far keep coming carl i love it but uh he says the athletic put some guys on a list that they think deserve to be traded bleed was one of the uh, on the list they claimed he played himself out of the lineup i was actually impressed with him and um he also uh dovetails that with what do you think they should do with him well my opinion is, yes, I liked Anton Bleed. I've always liked Anton Bleed. He's been a fantastic interview uh, pre-pandemic when I had the opportunity to talk to him. Um, you know, and, and he's a locker room guy. He's he's a joker. Everybody loves him. But he is a UFA. I'm not sure if the Bruins are going to be bringing him back, especially after the parting words uh, that was said about, uh, him signing here uh, just to um, to basically play in the and then on the ninth floor and and watch the games um, and there's a huge narrative out there that I have to agree with and that's like why would you play Nick Felino when you had a guy like Anton Bleed and I think Anton Bleed would have brought a little more than Nick Felino would but I get the whole thing about the Bruins and how they treat their veterans and, and you know, and so blah, 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 blah. It plays so many avenues into this decision. But him parting ways with shots like that, yes, are good for the player. I totally get that. You know, you have to you have to set your ground on where you stand and, like, you know, hey, uh, and where you fit in. But also we've seen several times that when players 
throw shots across the uh, the bow, they don't stay here very long, i.e. Alexander Kochukov, i.e. Peter Shalarik, and uh, who was, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan Spooner had some uh, parting shots back in the day. So I don't see him coming back. It's an unfortunate thing. But for his NHL success, I think it's going to be coming uh, via somebody else on the 31 teams elsewhere in the NHL. And if he makes it, good for him. Yeah, I think he certainly could be successful somewhere. I don't know if that's Boston. I'd probably see him moving on as well. I think it's maybe just a situation where it wasn't the right fit for him or, or something like that. He certainly didn't stick out to me as someone who played poorly. I think maybe he didn't make the kind of impact that would have gotten him that regular playing time. I think Nick Felino definitely brings a lot of leadership with him. I think he maybe didn't bring the type of production that a lot of us were hoping for, but there is something to be said about having a guy like him in the locker room come playoff time. I think bleed could be a very solid third or fourth liner somewhere else, but again, maybe just not the right time, right place kind of thing for him in Boston and wish him all the best. If he does move on, which certainly seems like he might um, hope he does well. I uh, hope he's one of those guys that we're saying, oh, why couldn't we have guys like him in Boston, yeah. that kind of thing. But I think maybe just not the right time and place for him at, at this point. Another player that's been polarizing basically lately in the in the prospect depths of this Boston Bruins organization is Jack Sidnika. And Anish has a great mm-hmm. question. Um, do you think Jack Sidnika can be a fourth C next year? I like Noshik, but he's a bit too slow and showed limited offensive ability. Mm, this is an interesting one because, yeah. I mean, I thought Noshik played well to begin the year, but t- kind of tailed off at the end. And it, uh, the postseason, it was it was hard. I mean, he got sat for a majority of one of those games, um, and it was hard to, to, to see that. Um, but I, I really don't see Jack being that prototypical fourth-line center um, that for me would would be a role for Noshik, to be honest with you, yeah. or or a guy like Trent Frederick. You know, mm-hmm. Trent Frederick is a natural center, uh, moves over to the left side to, uh, you know, to get in the lineup. But that's the type of player, a big body, uh, I you know, the guy that could throw the mitts if if needed. He could throw a big hit. I don't know if she could do the same thing, but still, I just don't see a player like. Stadnika being a fourth line guy and and bringing that physicality and that jam that a lot of teams have down down at that uh, bottom um, trio. So, what are your thoughts on on Jack Stadnika? And let me let me fill you in on a little information. This is his last year of his entry level deal. Where do we go forward with a player like Jack? Yeah, I I completely agree. I I don't see him as a fourth line center. He's someone who I was on the train of let's try him out as the second line center this year and let's just see where that goes. Obviously, uh, maybe he didn't get enough of an opportunity. Maybe he didn't make the most of the opportunities he got, but he that didn't end up being the case. Um, he's someone who, in my eyes, ideally, he's more of a skill guy. He's He's more of a second line center, maybe – third line guy if you're looking for that third line to provide some scoring but he's a guy with speed he's 
kind of a, a smaller guy in terms of his his body type. I, I don't see him necessarily as a fourth line guy, and and maybe it's because in my head I'm a little bit old school, but I want the fourth line to be a shut down line. I want the fourth line to be a line that can change the momentum of a game by chipping it in and banging the body a little bit. And, you know, maybe a couple guys that can, can also contribute on the penalty kill. Now, make a good point with Stagnica's contract. It's kind of getting to the point where the Bruins need to make a decision on him. And maybe you take a chance with him and you give him a little more responsibility. And if he can take that and run with it, you got a, a good a good prospect there. You got a good young guy that can fill a role. I like his game. I think he plays with good speed. He creates chances. He needs to maybe finish chances a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but it's it's tough. I feel like the Bruins lately with their prospects, we've gotten to this point where we have guys who seem promising, and then. They just don't quite get enough of a chance maybe to show and they end up kind of plateauing and they never they never flourish into maybe what they could have become. And it's tough because um, we do want to compete. But at some point, you do have to give the young guys a chance or else we're going to end up like the Red Wings, quite honestly, and being a team that is not competitive for many years because we went all in on veterans. Um, I'm going to leave you alone for a little bit, Nathan. If you could do me a favor and answer Carl's question, I'll be right sure. back. Okay, I'll, sure. I'll leave that up right there, and I'll be returning in just a moment. Sure. Yeah. All right. What to do with Clifton? Bounce back and forth all season. He's between screaming Cliffy hockey when he would crush someone. Uh, yeah, Clifton is a big boomer bust guy in my mind. He's he's all right for the third line. I think uh, he, he's all right for a third pairing. He's not someone that's going to light the world on fire necessarily. He's not going to score 10, 20 goals as a defenseman. But especially if you pair him next to a guy like Derek Forbert, who is maybe a little bit more defensive minded, and you give Clifton a little bit, a little bit of that agency to go forwards and kind of play with the puck a little bit and, and run around. Clifton, he's kind of a chaotic defenseman, I would say. He runs around. He crushes people. Like you like you said, he crushes people sometimes. But with that is also going to come some mistakes. And, yeah, you say, I thought he was great in playoffs. I think he, he generally has been pretty decent in playoffs. He's, he's similar to Jake DeBrusque in that he might, he might struggle during the regular season when you have this wide scope of games, right? You play 82 games for a reason. But in the playoffs, it's all about showing up. And in those high-intensity games where you need someone to make a big hit or you need someone to inject that energy, Clifton can be a useful guy. So as long as he doesn't hurt you too much, I think having that intensity can uh, can help you out, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was good in the playoffs too. Um, one of the top four best defensemen on the team. Yeah. I know that um, uh, many would argue that he was one of the best, but I think uh, McAvoy really brought it in this series, uh, especially with the uh, the injury to or the recovery of Hampus Lindholm uh, when he returned to the lineup. Um, Palmer Fred's in the house. What's up? What up? What up, Palmer? 
Uh, he mentions, don't you think we should have a Brown kind of player on the back end? I'm thinking that you're you're talking about the toughness, and I think that Palmer is a big, bad Bruins type of mentality person, and I think he's been around for a little bit, and he knows that toughness wins games, and we've seen it with certain teams like St. Louis. We've seen it with certain teams like like uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, yeah, I, I would absolutely love to uh, get a, a person or a player that has the ability to stick up for a teammate, uh, place physical, but also bring it uh, on a nightly basis as a, as a defenseman. And and those are few and far between. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's something that could be addressed this offseason, maybe in the future. Um, if, in my opinion, uh, if I want to get a player like that on my Boston Bruins lineup, it's going to be at the forward position. And I'm going to – I'm cherry-picking another one, you know, from um, 32 Thoughts to Hockey Podcast with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. And they constantly talk about a player like Blake Coleman, you know, a guy that, mm-hmm. that, that, that can crash the net and just be a pain in the ass at the top of the key of the crease. You know, the guy just gets there all the time and does what it does, what he needs to do. Um, Carl says Tom Wilson to Boston confirmed. Oh, Carl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny. Uh, yeah. And you know, I, I, I even I was on board. I know Billy Jaffe from the Morning Brew was was on board with me as well with with a player like Nick Delorier who could be a, an effective penalty killer, but a guy that could just ruin your afternoon, evening, whenever you hit the ice. That guy is going to be in your face, and that's the type of playoff grit that you need. I totally get that, Palmer. I absolutely totally get it. But uh, I don't think that's something that they're going to immediately go out. I think that we really need to increase our secondary scoring. Um, because at the end of the buzzer, it's not toughness that wins games, and I understand it kind of does. But a heavy percentage is what team has the most goals at the final buzzer of any game, series, or whatever, uh, wins the games. And I think that we didn't capitalize enough. We didn't finish enough. Um, I don't believe we had enough creative opportunities enough to to really be um, – uh, yeah, uh, it's tough to think about sometimes because uh, Carolina does the same thing, and they did the they did the home in a way, and and they showed signs of weakness too. But I mean, it's something to think about moving forward. Yeah, I think the key is to like it. It, it would be great to add some more toughness, but it's not it's not the league where you can have a guy like Sean Thornton who. Did have some skill, which we saw when he he made a great move on that penalty shot goal that one time. But he's primarily just a guy out there to, you know, bang guys around and, and be a physical presence. You do need guys that can still make plays, move the puck, move their feet. So it would be nice to add some toughness, but not at the expense of, of all that stuff. And I think... Yeah, someone's saying like the, the net front presence after Lucic, like that's a big deal. Like you were saying, we didn't really create, there were not a lot of times, certainly in Carolina, where the Bruins looked like a threat to score. There weren't a lot of times where you're sitting there and it's like, oh, you know, so close or whatever. It was pretty much the, the chances that we got, they scored on. And it just so happened that there weren't many I, I think a big problem was not getting guys to the net and not creating 
secondary chances on rebounds and stuff like that. So toughness would be good, but it needs to come in the form of someone who, like Blake Coleman, is willing to go to the front of the net and score goals in front of the net, not just someone who's out there to be a bodyguard. Yeah, real quick, um, uh, Jason Larati says, Zadarov and Deloria, we changed the identity of this team. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Matt Hunt says, I I like Miles Wood, but I believe struggled with injuries last season. Uh, Anish, uh, Boston, we already read that one. And Carl says, another problem I saw were emotional control. Earlier in the season, it seems like Marshy was the guy physically and mentally dragging this team into the game. How do they improve? there hopefully they they improve that area as well um but unfortunately um nathan i i I gotta end the program and thank you very much for everybody who's been here um in the live stream asking questions we truly appreciate it we're going to be doing a lot more of these over the off season we love creating more boston bruins content for our black and gold productions sports media company so if you want to get involved follow us right here uh follow nathan and follow myself and um, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to all of our Black and Gold Hockey podcast um, uh, episodes that we put out every week on, on listening platforms. I, I would truly appreciate it. But sometimes around the two hour mark, uh, I can't get on a lot of these listening platforms. So we got to kind of shut it down uh, soon. So uh, I do want to mention that we do have a Patreon account and we're mentioning a winner of a hand signed Boston Bruins jersey right now so if you want to get involved in our patreon we truly would truly appreciate if you go to patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast and donate just one dollar per episode we do about four episodes to six episodes a month so it's a really small investment and what happens is we send you uh hand signed items like uh, eddie johnson stanley cup champion 1970 uh what else do we, we got we got um uh a ton of me um oh, i can't even talk right now uh, a ton of uh pucks from the alumni that i have signed over here that we're gonna be sending away so uh basically you get a hand signed item every week and the jerseys are every month and that's just for a dollar so um if you could we'd certainly appreciate that what we do is we take half of your dollar and put it towards uh, paying the bills at our sports me- sports media company. And the other half, we roll into buying some really cool gifts that we give back to you guys because you guys are the ultimate uh, supporters, the financial ones. So this month, we told you for the past couple episodes, it is the Terry O'Reilly month. And um, hand-signed jersey, fully authenticated right there. This is from Boston Sports and Music, Bruce Sullivan, and this week's winner, or this ep- this this month's winner of the hand signed jersey goes to Marlene Daniels. Thank you so much, Marlene, for your contributions. I truly appreciate it. And I also think Marlene was kind enough to increase her donation from one dollar to five. So truly appreciate her and everybody that contributes. We have uh, about seventy patreon members and we love you guys you guys are the best and over the summer i'm going to be ordering a ton more stuff for all the next season so with that being said um mr nathan i can't thank you enough for all the time that you uh you gave us today um and uh please uh plug what's going on you got any videos coming out tell us where to follow you uh tell us everything 
Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. You can see the handle here. It's just Nathan DRSN, kind of just combine my first and last names. Um, I have a YouTube channel, just Nathan Anderson Sports. Probably going to be making a lot of videos about Bergeron coming up. Uh, he was a big part of my childhood, so seeing what's going on with that. Videos on what uh, what I think the Bruins are going to be doing this offseason. So those are probably the best places to find my Bruins opinion. So if you liked what you heard, check out those places. And uh, thanks for having me on, Mark. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. And before Matt Hunt goes away, you might live in the UK, but we ship to the UK. So if you want to be a Patreon member, uh, just um, kindly e- equal the US dollar or even give us just a little bit more so I can cover that shipping charge. I'd certainly appreciate it. But you are certainly welcome. We ship all over the world. And that's uh, no problem at all. But Anyway, I'm going to shut this down. But again, thank you so much, Nathan, for your time. We got to do this again. You were a fantastic yeah. guest. Thank you. Thanks and, for having me. And a great member of our uh, content team over the Black and Gold Production Sports Media Company. But also, thank you, everybody Carl, uh, Matt, uh, Andrew, Heather, Jason, all you guys that have been in here throughout this two hour program. Absolute gold. We truly appreciate you. We'll be back next week with another new episode. And some more Boston Bruins hockey talk as the offseason continues. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And if you're in New England, stay cool. It's going to be a hot couple of days. Thanks again for tuning in and supporting this week's episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating and write a review on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show for advertising opportunities or to send us a question or topic idea we should be discussing, please send us an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Don't forget to share our program on your social media platforms with other hockey fans and follow our Twitter accounts at blackandgoldpod, at bngproductions, at blackandgold277, and at Kevin underscore O'Keefe 89. Also, please don't forget to check out our official blackandgoldhockey.com website where we cover the Bruins organization from the NHL level down to the prospects worldwide. Peace out. Peace out.